Okay, welcome everybody to a very special edition of the Boostly podcast. As always, we give hosts the tools, the tactics, the training and the confidence to get more direct bookings. And I've got a very special guest with me, Mr. Mike Michalowicz, author of so many books, but we're going to talk about uh, the revised version of Clockwork today. So as we always do, as we crack on with the Boostly podcast episode, let's get started with a lovely little freestyle rap, shall we? This is a freestyle Going off the dime. Ready for my close-up. Good looking. Let me tell you, get more bookings. Oh, that'd be nice. Giving me tips, tools and advice. Yeah, you're going to get them, hon. You're going to sit back, listen to Mark Simpson. Oh, having a blast. Going to get it on the Bruce Lee podcast. Bruce Lee like Bruce Lee because it's so hard and the tea is loose leaf. Making up those rhymes. Don't write it, just do it loosely. If you want my respect, you're better put direct. Mm. Here are the words in the podcast. That's what. Here we go. I love that. I love how you have to say book direct, and you get those additional fingers growing. It's uh, it's there with with the allergy reference as well. So it's it's all good. But thank you well for done. doing it. Google tells me, Mister Mike McCullough, this is your one hundred and fifty second guest podcast episode. So okay, you have done more than what most people put out. <laughs> in, in in their entirety so thank you so much for doing this oh this is my joy thanks so much for having me so we're talking today about uh the clockwork book um it is revised and expanded so i'm gonna let you explain all about that in a second yeah. um but could you just uh very quickly just i guess the best place to start is why did you feel um like now was a good time to do a revised version of the very popular clockwork book yeah I think part of it was because the growing popularity of clockwork and then the realization that um, some people were reading the book and unable to successfully implement all the strategies without additional help. And that's not my intention. My intention is that when you read one of my books, everything I know is in there and it's executable without getting any assistance. I want a full package. But one of the challenges of writing a book, the first time I wrote clockwork is the only experiences I have implementing it are businesses I've personally coached or when my team members have coached or our own companies, which implies that when they have questions, whatever, you know, we're dynamically addressing it. But a book is a, it's a linear pitch. It's like, you know, here's line one, here's line two, go do it. Like there, you can't ask questions. You can only reread. So I found that um, there were certain elements of the book that need to be rewritten. As a result, um, 60% of the book is, is brand new content. Um, the framework is, is the same. But the way it's positioned and the way you can digest it, I think is is a multiple easier to do. 40% of it is realigned. So I took parts that were working and people were able to absorb and move around. The other stuff, I, I've redone it to simplify it, hopefully dramatically. So one of the things that I noticed, and I've been very lucky to have like a little sneak preview at the, at the new edition, is that you were talking to employees, not just yeah. employers. There's cool little love notes in chapters two and 10. Yes. Could you just sort of um, speak to the fact on why you decided to, to, to do this? Yeah, so what's so interesting is when the first version of Clockwork came out and uh, I think calls from entrepreneurs, business owners that were implementing it, they said, I want my employees to do this. I said, great, share the book with them. They say, I can't, I can't share the book because it talks about how the entrepreneur runs the business. So there was this disconnect. And what I did with this version of Clockwork is at the end of every single chapter, there's a section exclusively for the employee and how to implement it. They have a choice. They can read the entire book and get to that section. I encourage them to, or they don't have to. What I also point out to the business owner is this is 
a look that they don't normally get. They understand how you're thinking. So many employees don't have an understanding because it's not provided to them. So they come to their own conclusions, which not often is right. Oh, the business owner just wants this business to be efficient so they can make lots of money and uh, take advantage of me. Um, but the, the reality is the business owner wants the business to be efficient so that they can employ more people, that the business can run more efficiently. That's a more stable business. And yeah, the owner, just like everyone, probably wants to take a break once in a while. So you start getting this perspective that I think is a little bit different and helps the employee. My hope is when someone reads the book, a business owner um, or a department head, they read and say, okay, it's something we want to implement, that now they're inspired to give each one of the employees a copy or rotate that one copy around, but let everyone experience it so that they can participate in the success. And that's my last component. Clockwork from a leadership standpoint is about 10%. It's the deployment of the system. 90% is people actually buying into and doing it. So I think they will benefit by reading. it. Well, I can personally speak to the fact that we had a, a new team member start Boostly over the course of the last three weeks. And one of the first things that I asked for, for her to do, so hi, Irony, is was that read the clockwork book, you know, really buy into what we're trying to do here. So uh, she had read it, loved it, and I was not afraid in any way, shape or form uh, to pass it to a, to a teamwork. We now have every one of our teamwork has read the book because it's we're all on the same. I line. love that. So yeah, it was it, it was massive for us. So yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan. I've taken part on the uh, the training behind the scenes with Adrienne and the team. And oh, and she's great. Yeah, she's great. we've 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 had an amazing time, and, and Boostly has, has massively benefit uh, for it. And I feel like anybody that has read the first one will be familiar with. I feel like one of the biggest takeaways or biggest sort of people that remember the first one for is the QBR, the QBR. Yes, yes, and um, the. One of the features as well was the four Ds. And this is something that I've always gone over is, is the four Ds. And this time you've added in the fifth. Um, right. So could you please, just for anybody who's not checked out Clockwork, the first book, could you just quickly go over those four Ds and just add in the 50 that you've added in? Yeah, for well? sure. This, this was really interesting to me how it all sort of came together. Yeah, and in reference to the, your first comment with the QBR, the heart of the book, the heart of the concept, that was probably the most uh that I, I re-engaged in. I, I, that was the most important, yet also the most confusing. And mm -hmm. I think I'm convinced now we have it so that anyone can implement it just by reading the book. Um, but the, the 4Ds, now 5th D, became monumentally important because it gives us a perspective of how our business is operating. So here it is. The 4Ds are the four different stages of involvement people can have with the business. There's a doing phase, that's the first D. That are the, that's the activities within the business that are necessary to provide the product or service to the client or the infrastructural support behind it. You sell t-shirts, that's a doing activity. Uh, you make the t-shirt, that's a doing activity. But it's the invoicing, all the infrastructure, all that's doing. It's all the necessary components so that the customer can have the experience uh, of purchasing, acquiring, and experiencing your product or service. That needs to be the majority of a business's activity, but it can't be the only activity. And it's usually the owner, the first one who starts navigating through the other activities. So the next one up is called deciding. And deciding is a precarious and risky thing. It's necessary, but you only want to sit there for a short period of time. Deciding is the activity where you're making the decisions for the other people on your team about how to proceed. And uh, this is necessary in a small business, but it can't last for long. Because what happens is, say I make t-shirts, it's just me. I make that first hire, they come on, I say, okay, here's how we make t-shirts, put in this press, put this ink on it, and, and now we have a design that we want to get out there. It's The employee is likely to come to me and say, hey, I'm about to put the ink on. What, what color should we do? Should it be blue or red? And I say, oh, you know what? The, the order was for red, so it should be red. 
Then they say, okay, uh, how do you make red? Like they come back with all these questions. At a certain point, um, if the employee keeps asking questions, I've now restricted my ability to do anything except for answer those questions. And we see this play out statistically. The vast majority, I think it's about 95% of businesses globally have less than three employees. And the reason that's true is because the owner is making all the decisions for everybody else. They're simply assigning tasks and saying, when you're done, come back to me. Tasks, come back to me. And then the owner can't do any work themselves because all they're doing is task rabbiting all the time. So it's necessary for early stage employees. It's necessary in certain circumstances. But what we want to do the majority of the time is what's called delegation. Sadly, we confuse designing, I'm sorry, deciding and delegation. We think we're delegating when we're actually deciding for others. Delegation is not the assignment of tasks. It's the assignment of outcomes. It's saying, okay, we need to print shirts that match this order. Uh, do you agree with that? And why do you agree with that? Well, you know, these clients order this. There's an expectation that's been set. They're paying for this. We have to meet this order. It's a no-brainer. Great. So we understand the outcome. Your job is to get us there. And any questions you have, I want you to use your brain on how to do it. Now, what's going to happen is the employee comes in and says, hey, uh, should be red or blue? And you say, well, what's your decision? And what, a common response, by the way, is I don't know. That's a quick cop out. And then you say, well, listen, I hired you for what's on that shoulder of yours, that brain of yours. What would you do if you did know? And you keep pushing the decision back to them. That's what delegation is, is where they're empowered to do decisions. Here's the thing. They're not going to make perfect decisions, nor did we growing our business. So when they come back and say, you know, I decided to do pink, you got to say, okay, if you feel that's in the best interest of our clients, let's go do it. Even though you may say, oh, I wish you were doing red. And then they come back and uh, sometimes they're going to make decisions that, that uh, are going to be wrong, at least in your opinion. Um, but at least you've empowered them to make decisions. They now have control. That's a big way for people to take ownership over their roles. My only warning is as an owner of a business, as the mentor for employees, if they're making a decision that harms the business significantly, then you need to intercept and say, hey, you know, let's look at the order and see if you want to change your decision around doing pink. And they say, oh, it says red on the order. We should do red. Okay, good job. So you want to coach them through that. So delegation is the assignment outcomes. Next level is called designing. That's the highest level. Designing is the, uh, the vision for the business, where we want to move it, and the choreograph or the organization of resources to get there. How do I move us all together to get to this outcome in a way that's successful and supportive of everybody? Design work uh, is hard work. And for an organization, 10% of the time should be spent designing, thinking of the future and envisioning. And if you're just the only owner of a business, the only employee in the business, 80% of the time you got to be doing, the rest of the time is to, uh, dedicated to the other three Ds. As the business grows, more and more of your personal time is dedicated to it, but we always keep that balance. The majority of our time, 80% or more doing. But the fifth D is downtime. And this was a revelation on, actually the research came out of England, um, of how uh, people are productive. And what they found is we're really good at sprinting. We're not good at those long eight-hour days, particularly the knowledge workers. They found that the average knowledge worker produces for about 3.2 hours per day, regardless of the number of hours we work. So you could have an eight-hour workday or a five-hour workday, and you're still producing the same amount. So we need to afford downtime. Now, I'm not saying this is lunch breaks and so forth. It could be. But also, you may just choose to hire staff that does downtime on their own. Over half our staff here is part-time employees, and they, they work for four or five hours a day, and then the rest of the time, uh, they experience downtime on their own, whatever activities they choose to participate on at their homes or wherever. But what we find is by compressing the work hours uh, that people are still producing at three to four hours a day. So you don't need people on 
you know, quote unquote full time because they're not fully engaged. That's the importance of downtime. Mm. So good. And I feel like the last couple of years and everything that's happened in the world, it's, it's sort of made a lot of people think, especially over here in the UK, like how business owners are, are running their business. Staff don't have to be in offices all of the time. You know, we are more than capable of doing the hybrid model. And uh, so many people now on the school run and, and, and people, that I, parents that I chat to, I think everything has changed over the last couple of years. So it's really interesting to see it. And that study coming out of England is is interesting too. So yeah, the, the UK is really on the forefront of this. I believe another article broke recently that uh, in the UK, there was a mandate for 3,000 companies. It's a grand experiment. Mm. But they moved to a four-day work week yeah. to see how people are engaging. And uh, so thanks, UK, because I think this is going to become a global phenomenon as they do their research. Uh, we, on our own accord, actually implemented that strategy ourselves too. And we started it two years ago, uh, or maybe three now, that we're closed on Fridays. Like No one's expected to work on Friday. But what we found is this morphing into is everyone has a set of expectations to produce a project over a certain period of time, a week or a month or a day. Everyone has expectations of what to deliver. They're given the flexibility to find the schedule that supports them. And we still have this rhythm of saying like, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we are going to meet face-to-face -face or virtually just yeah. to reconnect. So we're still in this rhythm. It's not everyone's on their own, but we're, we're offering more freedom. And it seems so far it's resulting in more productivity. We're talking about uh, reconnecting offices working a little bit differently, Talk, bringing it back to hospitality for a brief minute. Well, what we're finding is people that have got larger properties, maybe they can sleep 12 to 20 people in a, in a larger property. We're finding offices now are booking out places for a week because they're doing that that reconnecting that, that you're talking about. So it's a, a we're talking about hospitality, short-term rentals. There's a whole new demographic of, of client now and, and business guests, some of the best guests to have because there's a, fantastic way of having it repeated quarterly or annually. So yeah, really interesting. So I want to move on to another part of the book that's been sort of revised slightly, the trim trash transfer. And we've now added treasure. Which another like, T, right? Treasure, right, T, right. Another, we've added another T in, which is treasure. Yeah, T it's, and D. T. Yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've got, so, um, yeah, please, the, please the, speak to that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. The fourth T, treasure, um, points to that there are certain things we need to value in the work we do. Well, it starts off with the first three T's. So in optimizing the roles of individuals within a company, the first thing we want to do is see, is there anything that's trashable? Meaning, is there anything that is not serving the business? As an example, we were doing a newsletter here that I was writing myself. It took me about four hours a month to write it. One month, I just forgot to do it. And not a single subscriber said, where's my newsletter? And then I let go another month and no one said it. And I tested, I sent it. And then the next month after I didn't do it again and no one said boo. I was like, oh my gosh four hours a month of wasted time. I was just doing it because historically we'd done it. There's no value being delivered and it's costing time. That's trashable. The next thing is not everything's trashable. Maybe a few historical things are. The next thing is it transferable, meaning can we send work to someone as optimized to do that work or prefers to do that work at least? For me, it was invoicing. I, I, do in, I did invoicing. I'm not necessarily good at it. I hate, actually don't like doing it. So I usually push off to the end of the day, uh, a late hour and I was tired and cranky and I had to get this out. It was a necessary evil. And then I transferred to someone who said, my gosh, I love invoicing. I love the detail. I love seeing the health of our organization and tracking it. I'm like, you love invoicing? Are you crazy? It's a necessary evil. They're like, it's a necessary joy. It's so much fun. One person's garbage is another person's treasure, right? Or one person's trash is another person's yeah. treasure. So, right. so that was a big realization. Can you transfer work away from 
what does not give you joy or you're not efficient and effective at to someone who gets joy at it and is efficient and effective. Next one, uh, so that's trash, uh, uh, sorry, trash, trim. Last one is tra um, trash transfer. Last one's trim. Trim is where we uh, take work that we must do, but see if we can find efficiencies in it. I like these one-on-one -on -one meetings here at the office to talk about projects and so forth. And we moved it to a group meeting, a morning huddle. It takes 10 minutes. And something that was taking hours a week to transfer knowledge, um, just by setting up one group meeting, we're able to bang it out really quickly and get the same results. That's a trim. So you don't remove the job, you structure in a new way where it moves more efficiently. And then the newest thing we added was treasure. And it came out of the book that uh, I was getting emails from readers saying, I want a clockwork for my business and I don't want to leave my business. Like I, I want something to do in my life. So I'm not going to do clockwork. I'm like, what? You, you're not going to do clockwork because you're, you'll run yourself out of the job. And they said, yeah. So I said, okay, here's the reality. You want to run yourself out of a job because you can then reinsert yourself in the way that gives you joy. So if the business doesn't need you, then you get to cherry pick what you get to do. And that's the best part of being a shareholder of a business. Do what you want. I did it for myself. I've been doing clockwork now. I think I'm on my fifth year. I take an annual four-week vacation. Actually, last year I took a nine-week vacation. I take an annual vacation from the business to prove the business can run itself. And I've selected what I like to do. And there's, there's two things I love to do. Being a spokesperson, kind of what we're doing now. I love talking about this stuff. Secondly, being an author, just writing about it. So those two components is what now represents almost all my time in the business. I do other things because sometimes it's necessary. and It's not transferable. But those are the things I treasure and are prioritized. Love it. Um, you very quickly mentioned shareholder. This is something that I've picked up from. Snucking in. Yeah, snucking in. I like that. It's something that I've noticed over the last like seven months that I've been doing the, the Run Like Clockwork program. Um, uh, you mentioned it on on, on one of the videos, uh, one of the live videos. Can you just sort of talk to shareholder? Because I, I admit, I've tried this at a party or meeting up with parents hard, for the right? first time. So hard. Can you just explain how you describe it and speak to it and just sort of explain how other people can adopt it as well. Cause it's, it's fascinating. So hard, <laughs> but can you just, yeah, yeah it's so hard, but yeah. it plays into human psychology. It is the human propensity to comply with how we identify. So when we label ourselves as something, we will start acting consistently with it to prove that label true. I'm horrible at math. I won't study. I won't prepare. I stink at accounting. I won't do the accounting and that will prove I am horrible at accounting cause I'm not touching it. Well, if we call ourselves an entrepreneur, I think unfortunately that term has become bastardized to say hustle and grind. You're an entrepreneur, you gotta work harder than anyone, you gotta grind out more than anyone to gain the success. And that was never the definition of entrepreneurship. It's always been someone who sees a vision and organizes resources and people to get to that vision. They're the great risk taker. How do we make a vision come true by organizing others to engage in it? So I was like, well, the word entrepreneur, as much as I love it, it's been damaged and we start behaving like a hustle and grind person, what's the new word? And it's like, oh, it's shareholder. I own stock in a public company and uh, they send out their quarterly profit distributions. When I get it, I don't say, oh my gosh, I need to run down to this company and earn these profits by working harder. I don't work for them. And uh, I don't say I gotta return the money to them. I simply say, I was a investor in this business. I took risk. I'm hoping the valuation goes up, but it could go down. This is a reward to me for taking risk. As an entrepreneur, chances are you are a large shareholder, 50% if you have a partner, more, 100% if you're solo. You are the shareholder and you have to have shareholder responsibilities, which means have a vision for the business, just like the stock I own, I vote my vision, we 
influence the board. We select who's board members. We do strategic planning through voting. And that's what you do for a business. It's that design work. And that's what a shareholder does. They think about the future. They take the risk and make the investments to, to get there. Um, and by saying the word shareholder, you're going to start complying with it. Now, here's the challenge. And it's weird. Every time you're at a cocktail party or you're visiting with friends, and they say, what do you do? You meet someone new, say, I'm a shareholder of a small business. And it is freaking awkward. It's like, I, like, what does that mean? Like, I don't even know what it means. I just said this because Mike made me say it. But once you say it enough times, then you start complying with it. You're like, okay, I'm a shareholder of a small business. Um, I'm not expected to do the work. I'm expected to design the outcomes and sharing the profits because I've taken the risk of investing. So mm. stick with it, brother. Not I easy, but that. stick with it. A certain day you'll convince yourself. Shareholder of a small business. I love That's it. That's right. I will. I will. I promise you. I'm a shareholder of a small business too. That's awesome. There you go. <laughs> That's going to throw me even more. If somebody who was who was work through the methods and whatnot so that straight back to me I'm Dude, like, oh, hang on a you second. two will hug it out you'll be like oh my god you're my best friend now i found yeah. you yeah i found you thank you so okay i got two more questions and this yeah. slightly goes down a personal route but i feel it'd be good for any budding authors out there so um, i'm about to embark on my, my my second book um now toilet paper entrepreneur was released in 2008 that's right uh, and then you've got the pumpkin plan which google tells me was four years later in 2012 that's right. Since then, every single year after 2012, pretty much every two years, you've released a book. Yeah. So what and why, can you speak to the fact, why was there a four-year gap? Is there any reason being, what was the reason for a four-year gap? And the se second part question to that is, what's the one piece of advice you would wish you had received from going from the first book to the second book before you went back? So one of the reasons there was a two reasons, but there's one of the main reasons why there's a four year gap between my first book and second book was I was brand new to authorship. And I was working on one concept, toy paper entrepreneur from start to finish, finished it. And then said, okay, what's the new concept? As I was working on pumpkin plans, like, oh my gosh, I have all these different concepts that need to be in different stages. So the first stages is what's not working in the entrepreneurial community. People aren't profitable, for example, consistently. Why? And start throwing theories out there and then start testing. So as I was writing the pumpkin plan, Profit First, for example, was being tested and deployed mm -hmm. and worked on. Then as I'm finishing writing pumpkin plan, now I'm in the process of ramping up Profit First. And uh, that's how I do it. So Clockwork, while it's being released next month as of this recording or posting, um, one year from now, one year and a month or two, my next book's coming out. It's halfway through the writing I call codification stage. I, the systems have all been tested. We got the concept. Now I'm just writing it and, and putting it together. As I finish that manuscript, which will be done in the next four months, five months typically, um, I'm already have the next concept that we're we're testing out around uh, here and uh, should be in full kind of writing mode a year and a half from now. And that keeps me on this pace. Mm. Uh, work on multiple books at once. That's the secret. Work on multiple books at once. Very clever. No, that, that explains a lot. Thank you very much for, for, for doing so. Okay, so the final, final question, and I'll, I'll let you go. So I really do appreciate your time. So I would I say the, the book that I gift and recommend the most is Clockwork. Uh, that and Tools of Titan by Tim Ferriss and Story. Oh, that's Brand. such a good book, yeah. Love that one. And Story Brand by Donald Miller. So Donald those Miller, three books, that's awesome. Those three books are the ones that I, I gift the most. But I'm curious to know, is there a... Is there a book that you gift the most? Is there a book that you recommend or gift the most to entrepreneurs or just any in general? Is there, It can be fiction, nonfiction, but is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So there's so many books I read mm. that I gift very specifically. 
I used to say, oh, you, you, Mark, need to read this book. It's so good. Then I discovered that's not a good question to ask or, or thing to do. I found what challenge do you have? So I used to ask people now, I'm like, hey, what challenge are you facing? I literally just had a call with a, a, a business owner two days ago, and they said, we have to let go six, six staff members, not because they um, are not performing, because our company is in trouble. How do I communicate this? I'm like, oh, have you read Verbal Judo? Judo? Have you read Never Split the Difference? Like, no. I'm like, I, two books are on their way to you. So I love a whole mm. gambit of books. Uh, and I recommend them. I, I don't I don't have one that's my religious one anymore. Uh, if anything, maybe E-Myth, but there's not one. I, I, I like, like to. I like that question, though. It's the, what are you struggling with? Because you're struggling know, now. Yeah. I, I, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. yeah, because otherwise I found that I'm throwing people off course. Like their problem is hiring uh, or, or getting rid of some people, and I give them a book on, um, you know, financial management. Uh, it's not in sync with their biggest challenge. Mm. Yeah, definitely. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. So, okay, uh, time for the big pitch: the clockwork revised and expanded. Design your business yeah. to run itself. Uh, yeah. What is the the release date, and uh, where can everybody go and grab a copy? Uh, August twenty fifth. It's Clockwork Revised Expanded. You can find it on at any bookstore. It's on Amazon.everything. Amazon.everything. Um, and <laughs> if you go to clockwork.life right now, you can get some early access stuff, uh, including, I think, it just came in a few days ago. We have some collector's edition copies uh, right across my hallway here that we're going to be sending out if anyone is interested in purchasing one of those. Perfect. So clockwork.life. Please do go check it out. Uh, really, really thank you for this. You can find Mike McCullitz everywhere, YouTube, you name it. It's all on the socials. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this. And thank you everybody for, for tuning in wherever you are on the social sphere or the YouTube or podcast. It's everywhere now. So thank you again. Thank you so much, everybody. And we will be back again with another podcast episode very soon. And we will see you out with another Freestyle Wrap. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for checking out today's podcast episode. Now, before you head and go anywhere else, before you click to the next episode, before you do that, do me one big favor and go check out boostly.co.uk forward slash trust. IPRAC are the sponsors of all of the Boostly content. And the reason why I work with them and the reason why we spread the message of IPRAC is that when a host or a company is looking to get more into direct bookings, the main question they have is around trust. As in, will a guest trust that I am a true and real business? Will IPRAC take care of all of that? And they've got a special offer that is only available to Boostly people. But to do that, you need to go to Boostly, which is B-O-O-S-T-L-Y dot co dot UK forward slash trust. You can find out all the information there. You can book in a demo, book in a call, and then you will get your super special offer that is only available to Boostly people's. Thank you again for tuning in. Do go check out IPRAC. We'll be back again very shortly with another podcast episode. But until then, we'll see you all very soon. Take care.